Let's open our Bibles together to John chapter 12. Today we will look at verses 44 through the end of the chapter of John 12. Please listen attentively as I read God's word. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. So read the words of the living God. Father, as those who have been plunged beneath the blood of Jesus Christ, we can say with hearts filled with joy, that fountain has given to us eternal life. Oh, would you fill our hearts with that truth again today? Help us to understand more deeply and more accurately what you have done, what Jesus has done, and why it matters that we follow Jesus Christ. For we ask in his name, amen. So I'm sure you all know the six interrogative questions. If you're playing 20 questions, these are the kinds of questions you're going to ask. Who? What? Where? What's next? When? Why? How? Right? Those are the only six questions. All other questions can be boiled down to one of those six, it seems like. Today, people ask five of those questions all the time about all kinds of things. But the one question our society, our culture doesn't ask a lot is the why question. Why? It's kind of ironic because when you come out of the womb and you start talking eventually and you start inquiring about this world that you live in, what's the one question you ask? Why? You've had these conversations, if you've had children, you've had these conversations ad nauseum, right? Why? Oh, Daddy, you play the guitar? Why do you play the guitar? Because uh, I learned how to play in college. Why? Because that's what they taught me in college. Why? Because I signed up for the classes that taught me this. Why? 
because I had to declare some kind of major and I decided to do music. Why? Because I liked music all my life. Why? Because I, I grew up in a music family and grandma used to play guitar. Why? Uh, stop, kid. Right? <laughs> Enough with the why questions. Because it gets to the point when you, you don't have any more answers. Why? Uh, I don't know. It just is. And that's kind of where we are as a society. Somewhere along the line, we were taught it just is this way. So stop asking the why question. And a lot of people go through their whole lives almost never asking the big why questions. In past generations, philosophy occupied all education through 12th grade at least and into college. University, it was called. How do we make sense of all this diversity? What's the one unifying thing? Why do things exist? But today, philosophy is not looked at much. Theology answers the ultimate why question that nobody's asking. Why? If you go on hikes, you go on walks, if you get time away on your, on your own, you almost cannot avoid asking the why questions. Go out for a long walk, and if you don't have things in your ears that are playing music or podcasts, those are the things we were talking about earlier, or, or audiobooks. If you just get out and walk around and look, especially here in Colorado, and you see the mountains in the, in the distance there, and you see all the beauty of nature, you almost can't not ask the question, why? You look at the heavens, the stars, the sun, the moon, you think, why? Science can answer to some degree what, and a little case, how? They think they can answer when and where. We got that down. But, but why? Why is there a sun? Why is there a moon? Why are there stars? So I was thinking about this yesterday. I was looking out my uh, study window, and there is a tree, just a little tree. And, and the tree has a long, narrow trunk and then it branches out. If I were to go around the backyard, I would see a woodsy area, and there's lots of trees that don't really have a trunk. They've got limbs all the way. They've got needles instead of leaves. I look around and see other trees of all shapes and sizes, and knowing that one of these days, those leaves are going to fall to the ground, and the, the trees will be bare. Why? I'm not asking how. Not asking how the seasons come and go and, and trees drop their leaves and, and, and how it's just part of the environment. I'm asking, why is it that way? Why man and woman? Why are there human beings? Why are there just two? I mean, regardless of what everyone is saying today, it is binary. We know that intuitively. The other thing every child knows, in addition to nobody can answer the why question, the other thing he knows is when he sees a boy, that's a boy. When he sees a girl, that's a girl. Why is it that way? Why boy? Why girl? Why not three or ten or just one? Why nations? You know, right now in politics, there's a lot of uh, debate back and forth between nationalism and globalism. 
nationalism and globalism. And that, that happens historically throughout, uh, throughout political uh, pursuits. We see this in our, our own day, in, I mean, our own nation. We see this with the whole Brexit thing. Right? The nations of Europe came together, the European Union, and now uh, Great Britain is seeking to, to withdraw from that and become uh, separated, distinct, and, and be its, its individual nation, which it, it never stopped being a nation, but it was part of this group, and, and, and there's a pull and push back and forth. Why nations at all? Why haven't we all become just one giant government-controlled group? Why? Well, we know the answer. You know the answer. The answer is God. God did all those things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the moon and the stars. He decided every star would be there. In fact, the scripture says he calls them all by name. With our three children, Krista and I started with a list of, you know, 10 or 12 names. And we could have thought of a few more but eventually we would run out of choices before we narrowed it down to one. Think about how many stars there are out there and God has a name for every single one of them. How do you keep making up names that long? God made all of those. And God made trees of all sizes and shapes, some different from others. And God said, man shall be male and female. God made you one or the other. And the scripture says God made the nations and he sets their boundaries and he determines how long their kings reign, how long they live. He determines how long this nation will be a nation before another nation comes and destroys them and it becomes a different nation. But the idea of nations, of ethnicities, is God's idea. Man didn't make this up. And there will perpetually be nations until the end, because God did it. That begs the question, is there any way to know that God? Is there any way to have relationship with that one who made all of these things? Is there any way to know what he wants? Is there any way to know why he's doing what he's doing? in this universe of ours? People for millennia have been asking that question. And then a man shows up and he starts doing God-like things. He walks up to a man who's blind, who's been blind from birth, and he says, you can now see. And that man started seeing. This was not medical science. He was not a doctor. He didn't say, I, you know, I've been studying for years, I've read all the research, and I have figured out what the problem is in the inner workings of your eye, and I can now get in there with my instruments, and I can fix what was broken, and so that now you can see, and bring them all, just line them up, I can do this. I know this, I'm an expert in this arena of medical science. That's not what happened. Jesus just walked up and said, I have power over your eye, now you can see. 
came up to a lame man, a guy who had been lame for 30, 40 years, and he said, do you want to get up and walk? The guy said, yeah, I do. He said, then get up and walk. It was not the power of positive thinking. It wasn't teaching him how to overcome his psychosomatic problems. He actually took this man's body that did not work, and he just spoke the word, and suddenly that man's body worked. And he came to the edge of the sea. He stood on a rock, and he said, Every other time in the history of mankind, someone has stepped off this rock into that water, they went splash. Because that's how this universe operates. Except, I'm going to walk across the top of it. And I'm not going to go splash. I'm not going to get wet. I'm going to walk as though it were concrete to the other side. And he did it. Well, he didn't walk to the other side. He went part of the way and got in a boat. And every other time somebody got in a boat, halfway across the sea, they had to go the other halfway across the sea by floating along and rowing along, right? That's how it works. Jesus got in the boat and instantaneously ended up on the other side. Nobody does that. At least no humans do that. And then... Even if all that were a dog and pony show, you explain it this way and that way, a man who's been dead for four days, in the tomb, everybody knew it, so much so that his sister, who desperately wanted to believe that Jesus could do something miraculous, said, Lord, what are you thinking? Don't open that tomb. Don't roll that stone away. It stinks. And this man says, no, it doesn't. I can contain stink. (laughs) And he screams out the name of Lazarus. And this dead man comes to life. And he says to anybody who will listen, you want to know the God who made all of this? You want to know the God who just spoke the words and the universe came to existence? You You want to know the God who made trees? You want to know the God who made man and woman? You want to know the God who rules over and controls nations? I can show you that God. Anyone who believes in me, he says, believes in the one who sent me. That's God. Anyone who sees me doesn't just see me. He sees the one who sent me. Yes, you can know the God who answers the why questions, who answers every question, who is the foundation for everything in the universe. You can know him by and through Jesus Christ. He says, believe in me, and you will know him. There had been other answers offered for millennia before Jesus showed up. 
the nations, the nations knew that as they went out and walked around and asked the great why questions, they, they came up with some answers. So there, there's got to be something beyond this world. And so they started creating mythologies, gods that were an awful lot like human beings. My son's studying Greek mythology in school right now, and he scratches his head and says, well, I don't understand. Why do they actually believe this stuff? But they had to come up with some explanation to the why questions. So you've got Zeus and all his, his clans. Or maybe it's this rock that I just made. Or it's this bird that I just carved out of wood. But there has to be something that explains all of this. There has to be somebody that we can cry out to when we're, when we're scared. Some higher power that will save us and help us because we can't believe there's nothing. Who are we going to call to? We need, we need a savior. We need a, we need a king. We need a lord. Someone that's going to oversee this. And, and for some, it was just a, a manipulative tool to garner worship for themselves as they represented these gods. But for generation after generation after generation, the, the earth was covered with people who made up gods, made up stories of the, of the why, of who is overseeing all of this. The scripture says they dwelled in darkness. They were living in the dark. They couldn't see clearly who God is. Well, God revealed himself to one particular nation, the Jewish people, and he revealed himself in powerful ways. You know this, the, tw the ten plagues poured out on Egypt. He flexed his muscle, and then culminating in, in the death of the firstborn, and then he led his people out through the Red Sea, and, and Moses, representing God or as the, the, the messenger of God, held up his staff, and the, the sea parted so millions of people could walk through. And God led them out to Sinai, and he made his covenant with them, and he said, I am your God. I am the Lord, the God of the universe. I created everything. I made you. I saved you. I rescued you. Now follow me. And what did Israel do? They made another God. A calf made of gold and said, this is our God. And for the most part, through their entire existence, the Jewish people from Moses until the fall of Jerusalem in 586 BC, for the most part, with a few exceptions, Israel chased after other gods who were not the one true God, so that even the people that God specifically revealed himself to, even the Jews, lived in darkness. But God told them, as he was about to take them into captivity again with Babylon, he told them, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And those who live in dark lands, they will see the light. All across the world, those who are in darkness, someday they will see light. That's in Isaiah chapter 9. You remember what else happens in Isaiah chapter 9 right after those who walk in darkness will see a great light? I know it's not Christmas yet, but it's okay to talk about it. God says, this is when they will see the great light, when a child is born, 
When a son is giving, not S-U-N, S-O-N. When a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will sit on the throne of his father David forever, and he will be called. <laughs> well, he will be called that, but here it's wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the fulfillment of God's promise. I'm the one who has come to show you the truth and to reveal who God is so that you no longer live in darkness, but you walk in the light. And to prove to you who I am, here are the miracles. Here are my signs. Here's my power. Only God can do this. Christian, don't let anybody ever tell you you don't know the truth. You don't walk in darkness. You don't. The world tries to tell us we do. Oh, come on. You know that whole God thing? It's just a crutch. You can't face the reality that there is nothing that explains why you're here. You can't stand to live in the nihilism that is true. You came from nothing. You're just a grown-up germ. And when you die, that's it. It's all you got. You just cease to exist. And you can't stomach that truth. So you have this crutch where you, you, you want to believe in some God. No, they're the ones in darkness. We live in the light. We know where we've come from, and we know where we're going. Don't let anybody ever tell you differently. They're the ones who are the fools. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. We're having some fun conversations around the breakfast table as we're going through Romans as a family. When man turns away from the God who is, they become fools. They start worshiping creatures rather than the creator. They start making for themselves gods and bowing down. And, and, and I mean, the folly of carving out of a piece of wood a god and putting him up on a, on a pedestal and then bowing down before that piece of rock or piece of wood and saying, that's my god. Who made that god? Well, I just did. Well, what can that God do? Well, does he look pretty? Until he falls over and breaks his head into a million pieces. That happened. Remember Dagon, the Old Testament? They kept building up this, this putting up this, uh, this God, Dagon, on the, on the pedestal, and they kept coming in, and fall over, and his nose would break off, and they'd put putty on his nose and put it back up, and come the next day, he'd fall over, his ear would break off. And they all said, Dagon! What happened? <laughs> Finally, he shattered so much they couldn't put it back together again. Why? Because God was showing that thing is not God. I am. Don't ever let anyone convince you 
that you live in darkness. If you are a Christian, you do not live in darkness. You walk in the light. The other thing that darkness symbolizes through the scripture is wickedness. Ladies, you're probably seeing this all over the place in 1 John, aren't you? Wickedness. The whole world is overshadowed by wickedness, darkness, moral darkness. We are Christians. We do not live and walk in moral darkness. We have been declared righteous by God himself, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have left the realm of darkness, and we're walking in righteousness. There is no sin that you cannot overcome. God will never tell you, sorry, there's no hope for you. You're just addicted to that. You're just stuck in that. God never says that. The world says that. The devil definitely says that. He wants you to believe you can't overcome. You know, you just got to hang on till the end, and then maybe, but, but not now. No, we walk in the light. Paul says to the Romans, if you're in Christ, you are not a slave to sin, period. He says to the Corinthians, he will provide a way of escape in every temptation. Look for it. Look for the light shining through when you're struggling. Look for it. He promises to provide it. We walk in the light. The light has come. Jesus said it in our passage. He who believes in me lives in the light. I'm the light of the world that's come. Don't believe the lies. Science has become our God in the West in the 21st century. Science can answer some of the how questions some of the when questions, some of the where questions, some of the who questions, some of the what questions. What science cannot do is answer the why questions. And science can only tell you what they can observe. God says you are not a child of darkness any longer. I have transferred you from the kingdom of darkness and put you into the kingdom of Light. Colossians. Do you believe that? Don't let the world tell you you're, you're uneducated, you're simple-minded, you're naive, you're disillusioned, you can't help it, you're just biological processes. None of that's true. We know the one true God. We've been freed from slavery to sin. We know how we got here. We know where we're going. And we know how things operate in the meantime. Because the light has come. And we walk in the light. So, so Jesus says, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. But what about those who don't believe? There are two words in this passage that should strike terror 
into the life of every unbeliever. Two words. Last day. Did you catch that? If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to the world to judge, but to save the world. So when he came the first time, he wasn't coming to judge all the nations, like the Jews hoped he would. He's coming to save all the nations. He who rejects me does not, reject, uh, does not receive my sayings. He has one who judges him. What judges him? The word I spoke, what I've said, that will judge him on the last day. This world will come to an end. It is certain. There will be a last day of planet Earth. I don't know when that day is going to be. You don't know when that day is going to be. And it will not come because of global warming. And it will not come through nuclear war. And it will not come because an asteroid hits the earth and makes it all go boom. Maybe God will use those, some of those as his means. I don't know what, what means he's going to use. But the point is, it's not going to happen because of those things. It will happen because God says today is the last day. Bible calls that the day of reckoning or the day of judgment when every human being will stand before him and give an account of our lives. And Jesus said, I don't even need to be there to judge someone on that day. Now he will be. Keep reading the Bible, you see, he will be. But the point here is, I don't even need to be there if you've heard my sayings and reject my sayings. Because if you reject me, you reject the one who sent me. And that's all that is necessary on Judgment Day for the judgment to be guilty. Jesus came to reveal the Father to the world, and anyone who hears his sayings and rejects him, that's the only testimony necessary against them on the day of judgment. You're guilty because you refuse to accept Jesus, the Son of God. And on that last day, that lack of faith will be laid out as evidence against the unbeliever. Thankfully, it's not all doom. It's not all gloom. Jesus also says, I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and to speak. See what he's saying here, what he's been saying all along. I've just come and I'm doing what my Father has told me. I'm repeating what the Father has given me to say. I'm not here on my own. Jesus says, I haven't come just as a, a lone ranger, a lone Messiah to raise a following. I have been sent by God the Father, and I'm telling you what he is telling you to do. In verse 50, I know 
that his commandment is eternal life. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ has eternal life. Oh, how we get caught up in the temporal. We get so consumed with the here and now. And especially when things are hard, it's easy to get consumed with the here and now. But on the other hand, when things are going great, it's also easy to get consumed with the here and now. Because who, who wants this to end? It's, it's great when it's great. You got health, you got good relationships, you got money. And in our day, there's just a lot of fun stuff to do. Yeah, it'd be okay if this continues on for a while. Get kids, you want to see your kids grow up and get married, and you want to have grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren, and yeah, this is good. I mean, I, we all want Jesus to come back someday, but you know, right now it's, it's pretty good until it's not. And then we can be so preoccupied with how hard it is that we forget in both situations this life is relatively short. 70, 80 years, if God blesses, occasionally a little bit more than that, sometimes a little less than that. But everyone who believes in Jesus will have life into the ages. Isn't it funny how we talk sometimes? We use a phrase like, this will be true for the rest of eternity. I say it all the time. It's kind of a silly statement, isn't it? Because rest of eternity sort of indicates there's an end coming to that eternity. There isn't. The way the Greek is phrased usually is ages of ages. World without end. What we call eternal is usually phrased in era upon era. Epic upon epic. Age after age after age after age after age after age after age. You will never stop existing. You will never stop living. And if you believe in Jesus, this life will be over and the ages will begin. And from that point forward, you will never, ever, 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 ever experience the slightest disappointment ever again. Can you imagine that? My job, I get, to, I get to hear from a lot of you what's going on in your life. And I know there's a lot of stuff that's just hard. Stuff that you'd love to see it come to an end right now. And I have that too. We all have that. Things are hard. And I don't, I'm not trying to minimize that and say it doesn't matter or say, oh, it doesn't hurt. Just get over it. Yeah, whatever. Nanny, ninny, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, wimp. No, 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 that's not the biblical attitude. But do you remember Paul saying the worst of suffering here and now is not worthy to be compared to the weight of glory that awaits us? This is coming from a man who got beat up everywhere he went, literally beaten to a pulp everywhere he went, falsely accused, thrown in jail, abandoned by everybody who said they were his friends, suffering things that none of us will suffer. And he said, as I look at my life and my sufferings and my pain and my loss, none of it compares to what's coming 
in the ages to come. I have to remember in the midst of all of this, good or bad, hard or easy, this is not the end. The new age is coming. Eternal life is coming for all who believe in Jesus. That's what he came to do, to teach us, to shine the light, to reveal to us the glory that is to come. Why would he do that? Why? The path that he had to go down in order to provide that eternal life was more painful than any of us will ever experience. He went to the cross. He hung there for hours with nails in his hands, nails in his feet, rejected by all of his friends, his family, his own people. Even God forsook him while he was on the cross. Why would he do that? That may be the ultimate why question. This one we have an answer for. First of all, because God had promised him an inheritance. Before the foundation of the world, God the Father promised God the Son, I'm going to give you nations of people who will worship you and serve you forever. The Father loves his Son, that's why. He also loves you and me. Why would Jesus go to the cross? Why would God do all this? Because he loves you. Do you believe that? There are voices in your head sometimes, aren't there? That say, uh, I'm not so sure. I'm not feeling the love. It's kind of hard to reconcile this thing that's happening and God's loving me. Or this thing that happened in the past that still hurts. It's hard to reconcile that and God loving me. Those voices do not come from God. God is not saying, hey, how can I shroud you in doubt? How can I cause you to question my love for you? That is not what God does. God says, I sent my son to the cross to show objectively how much I love you so that you won't doubt so that you'll have objective truth to throw those subjective lies that the enemy and others want to hurl at you. God loves you with an everlasting love if you are in Christ. That's the light that Jesus came to shine on the world. We need to ask the why questions more often. We need to pull back and, and put our distractions away and walk around in the, in the mountains somewhere and just say, why is all of this here? And then answer it correctly. Because God. And why Jesus and the cross? Because God. And why do I have eternal life? Because God loves me and sent his son to die for me.
our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes, our behaviors, things will change the more we stop and answer the big why questions. Paul said it this way, do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think, he says. Think not as the world thinks. Think as God thinks. We have the mind of Christ, we're told. Ask the big questions. Don't be afraid of them. It'll transform your life if you answer them the way God does. Why? Because Jesus. Because of love. Because God. That's why. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare to sing these next two songs, they capture what I heart, what I what I hope will be in our hearts as we as we leave here today, that we will reflect on Jesus as the man of sorrows who bore in his own body and his own person the judgment and wrath that we deserve on the last day. He took it for us because you love us. And then we want to respond with lives that love you. Lives that are not concerned with the here and now as much as the there and then. Lives that are saying, I just want to love my Lord Jesus. I just want to love the Lord God. He's the one who made everything. He's the one who saved me. He's the one I will live with forever and ever and ever and ever, world without end. Lord, help us as we sing this song to truly mean it. We want to love you more. And Father, if there's anyone in this room right now who has continue to live in darkness but does not yet live in light, would you shine the light of the gospel in their hearts today and grant them the eyes to see it, that they may call out to you and receive forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.